What's going on, everybody? Welcome to Hollywood Already Did It presents a history of sitcoms through WandaVision, a new weekly mini-series chronicling the thoughts and feelings we have about the MCU's first show on Disney Plus, WandaVision, and how it is using television as a tool for themes, storytelling, pushing the characters forward, and a discussion of why we're using these tropes and where they came from in the first place. If you have been listening to the podcast, you may have noticed that it doesn't come out as much anymore because there are just aren't new movies. So we're back, kind of, and we'll be back for a few weeks and then we will see what happens from there. I am your host, Blake Schultz, and joining me on this eight-week venture is Jamie Jarek. Hello. And Terrence Tatum. Hello, everyone. Guys, we got our first taste of some Marvel content since Spider-Man Far From Home. Wow. Technically. Technically. Unless you're me and you count Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I say, unless the S.H.I.E.L.D. is going, <laughs> Of <yes>. course. <laughs> but... but- Technically, yes. <laughs> Fair enough. Yes, there's been Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I'm very behind on. But uh, let's get right into it. What did you guys think of this first episode? Jamie, start us off. Oh, uh, there has never been a show more catered to me in my tastes. I love uh, sitcoms so much. Um, if, if you're watching this and not just listening, you will see that I have a large collection of Scarlet Witch memorabilia because she is my favorite hero. Elizabeth Olsen is my favorite actress. Um, there's truly nothing about this show that couldn't be more for me. I loved it. Uh, I love uh, every performance. I still can't get over how great Paul Bettany is at comedy. Who knew? Uh, I sure didn't. Uh, so I... I have nothing negative to say other than I wish it would last forever. <laughs> yes. Um, for, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of in the same boat. Uh, one, just hearing that Marvel fanfare and the pages turning again just made me, I was like, I was like oh yes, this is, this is what I need right now. I need all of this with all the crazy crap that's happening in the world. I mean, to get these, this feel of like, classic sitcoms and just very reminiscent of stuff that I used to watch when I was a kid. Granted, I wasn't born when they first aired, but just seeing them on Naked Night or seeing them whenever they aired, I was like, oh, this is this is, this is is the light of uh, having a, a ball with all of it. And then seeing it just with like, oh, two characters that we know who are normally doing something completely different than this in this world is just fascinating to watch. And it's genuinely funny, like it's actually funny with also still feeling very uncomfortable because we all are aware that there's something else happening underneath all, all of this. It's just, a, it's a good thing to have two layers, but at the base level, it's just hilarious to watch and fun to watch. I think you're hitting on something that I didn't even really know how to fit into the show, which is this almost like horror undercurrent that's less about sitcoms at the time and more how we have used them in that genre. It has a very unsettling, like Norman Rockwell painting, but something's behind the paint kind mm. of tone to it that I really like. I'm, I'm with you guys. I just start to finish was grinning. It was so nice to see these characters again. It felt like friends were back after years. Uh, it was also just nice to see 
a very non-Marvel Marvel product. I think when these shows started and they're getting these giant movie budgets, a part of me felt that they were just going to be big Marvel movies, which don't get me wrong, I want. But it's fun <laughs> seeing them experiment in a way that I just don't think they'll be able to do in the movie. I don't think they were ever going to make a Wanda or Vision movie that would have 30 minutes of an of like an act one in black and white shot in a three camera setup with them doing 60s accents and big hair and slapstick comedy with a mystery behind it. There's no way it could no. never happen. No. Like they're taking their time, which I appreciate. I do too. I know there, that's been a, a downfall for some people. They're like, mm -hmm. oh, it's too slow or it's not. I, I love that. I love that it's not giving me everything at once. I love the whole sort of Black Mirror-esque thing. We're like, oh yeah, this is funny, but there's some there's some wild stuff going on. I mean, and we're gonna get wrecked. Our emotions are gonna be destroyed. Come March, <laughs> like we're gonna be talking about it through tears. Yeah. Well, yeah, I don't want to get like too spoilery, but I, right when the pandemic started in March, I read Tom King's vision book from mm. now, I think like 2015. I just 16. read it myself. Mm. It's so good. Oh. And if that gives us any inclination of where the tone of the show is going to go, we will not have these fun vaudeville smiles on our faces for more than three more episodes, one more episode ever again. <laughs> it's the same thing when you look at like Avengers Disassembled or House of M or all of these stories that people want them to do with Wanda, where it's like, well, these aren't, none of these stories end very happily you get into like daredevil spider-man territory where it's like they're fun characters and then it gets very very sad <laughs> she is I'm, very broken this i'm really glad going, these yeah. are the comics you brought up because i just read house of m and i just got disassembled which is i'm going to start reading tomorrow so i'm glad that i've like i'm on the right path for for what for the journey oh yeah those are definitely the like the must reads i think at least for this it gives you kind of a sense of other reality bending aspects of the character it, it gives you a lot of focus of like what vision's goal was in the vision and what maybe a goal here is from whatever force is behind this mystery and you get to see her power set that's the other thing i loved about this because one of my problems with both vision and wanda in every time we've seen them really is give me more is i want to see vision go crazy i want to see wanda at full power and just sort of watching her change the house sign to soul then apparate rings and watching her just telekinetically moving things around for dinner just made me really feel like i was finally getting something that i wasn't in the movies there was just a lot of we've, we've had to watch her come of age for so long yeah it is and it's also interesting to see her power set used in comedy like it, it it's a fun thing like we know action wise what we can do we, Thanos saw firsthand what what she could do it's cool now to see that stuff being done in a different genre because it's like oh yeah and it just shows you how clever the writers are to be like all right these things can also be used for comedic purposes and Vision's powers can be used for comedic or lack like his faults can be used for comedic purposes I think that's like that's just a brilliant way to, to, to do that Oh, I completely agree because it's you're also now getting into um, a friend of the show and my co-host for the other podcast Justin once said that he feels like superhero movies are still a little embarrassed to admit they're comic book movies 
that when you get something drawn, they don't worry about a budget. You get these giant fin fang foom episodes. You get these huge splash pages, things that weren't fully realized until Endgame when we saw everybody. And I feel like now with like long form storytelling in the show, you're getting these much more comic booky ideas. As we get closer into the multiverse, it's nice seeing Marvel get weird. It's nice seeing it like, we're not taking anything very seriously. They're obviously the writers and actors and everybody are taking it so, 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 so seriously. And that's what makes it so good. But story-wise and risk-wise, we're not really bound to the formula that I think a lot of MCU movies got into of origin story. And then we're going to reject the power and then we're going to have the big fight. And then the we're going to do the group is together. They're going to argue and bicker. It's going to be fun and witty. And then we're going to do the big fight. And it's like, there was a lot of safety wrapped around the mcu oh, and you I, really just very well summed up every movie i'm really that's impressed. all 21 23 nope. films that's it it's it's funny though because i think that's also the good thing about these disney plus series as a whole is that they can play around and do a little couple things that are different and not follow that very strict formula that has to happen i think with the, for the movie especially with the movie audience you kind of are like we have to follow this blueprint because this is we're trying to do a four quadrant all audience type of movie. Whereas when you do the TV stuff, you're like, oh, we can take a couple more risks. We can do this weird thing, and they're with us now. So either they're in or not, but we're, we got them now. So let's let's try some different stuff and see if they still stick around. If not, not big of a deal. We know we can go back to these films and we can get back there easily. Yeah, I wonder if there is a weird mentality at the studio when you're on a streaming service of, of uh, well, we already have them. Just do whatever we want. We're not trying to get them into a theater. They're giving us their money monthly. They will swallow this pill or they will watch one of the other various pills that we have. But they will be having a pill. <laughs> <laughs> and this pill is beautifully wrapped into a sitcom uh, homage like nothing I've ever seen before. Although it is... Pleasantville-esque, which is one of my favorite movies. And I really, I really like that it made me think of Pleasantville because I have loved that movie since I was eight years old. Uh, I, I, to this day, remember seeing it in theaters when I was eight. That's how much of an impact it had on me. And I think that this show has a similar vibe. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's taking those themes and ideas that we're, we'll talk about in just a moment that was in 60s and 70s and 50s sitcoms and inverting it there was a big like safety blanket around those shows and escapism was so big and things like pleasantville and things like this and the step for wives take that and go well <laughs> what if, what if not <laughs> like what if this was really scary what if there was a danger in conformity what if there was all of the things you think you want the picket fence the dog the family is actually like a horror type of trope but mm -hmm. before we do all that i just want to bring up these wonderful side characters before specifically catherine Mary. Yes. <laughs> yes uh she's fantastic and i and and i've obviously we've seen both the first two episodes but what's impressive about her is that she manages to be able to fit into any genre of comedy uh without missing a beat like, and it's different. It's different enough because it's a very stylized way of these comedies. This is first episode is very much Dick Van Dyke and we'll get on to the second one, but it's a super style for both. And she nails both of them without missing a beat. And she is pitch perfect. Like that nosy neighbor 
nailed it. Like that is one hundred percent what those what those uh, those characters were back in the back in the day. And uh, she is a delight. Every time she's on screen, I'm like, oh, give me more. Can Don't take her away. Bring her back. She has a range that is rare. I mean, she's known for her comedy mostly, but she's also a fabulous dramatic actor. I mean, she um, I, I didn't I never finished Transparent because of the whole Jeffrey Tambor drama, but. It, in the earlier seasons, she was one of the most um, kind of normal people in that show. Um, I believe she played a rabbi and she was like very tragic. Her character was like, and, and, and to watch her go from whoa to just, she, I, there are just few people who have the talent that Catherine Hahn has. And um, one of my next things I'm gonna do is watch her show, Mrs. Fletcher, um, which I haven't seen yet, but I've heard really good things about it um, because I want more Catherine Hahn into my eyeballs. I mean, you could just inject her into my mm. veins and I would be fine. Every time she's popped up in something or starred in something, I have just been enamored by her. And you're right, like watching both her and Elizabeth Olsen in this show capture the movement, the cadence, and like the and the style of these old 60s sitcoms, which like that's how they used to kind of train you to act, right? I mean, Terrence can probably speak to this more than us because he's a trained actor, but we all went to artsy schools. <laughs> um, and there really is a, a pacing to it, a volume to it. You have to see where you're stepping. Every movement is so focused. I mean, when you even look at like slapstick comedy and animated characters like, like Jim Carrey or Will Ferrell, there's effort and control in their movements. They're not just flailing around like, like an unmanned Muppet. Yeah, it's almost like a dance. And it's it's a it's very much while it is telegraphed and choreographed, there is still you have to still hit those marks and be really good at it. And they both nail it, but there's a just the way the dialogue is given, there's a uh, scene in this first episode where Catherine and Elizabeth are on the couch going back and forth over how they should be like setting up the, the anniversary that they don't know about. And the, the back and forth is so pitch perfect that I was like, yeah, you you have to know your shit to hit that and do that as well as that they're doing it. And it definitely, I was like, because not neither of those actors were born in that era. It's clear that someone studied old school comedy to get that because that's not, comedies today don't do don't operate in that way well another friend of the show hector navarro had the uh opportunity to interview both of them for the nerdist and i saw that in their interview they went to a sitcom boot camp and had to yeah. <laughs> learn to do this which really just it's amazing whenever you see how much disney and marvel puts into their content it would have been very easy to be like make it in black and white and have them say things like it'll be a gas and sweetheart and honey and they really get into the themes and why people watch the tv shows which unless anybody has more they want to do on this episode i think we should get into this uh some 60s history we are here to talk sitcoms and let's do it i'm ready <laughs> great so the 60s the biggest show that we'll be using for this first episode of WandaVision is the Dick Van Dyke show. And I think it is worth mentioning that that ran from 1961 to 1966. And we started kind of in 50s sitcoms, very vaudeville, the idealistic family, Norman Rockwell paintings, I Love Lucy, everything was perfect and idealized and wonderful. And then the world broke. And in 1963... <laughs> We had the Kennedy assassination. The Vietnam War started, the first televised war in our country. We were seeing more violence on television than ever before. 
People were tuning in every day to watch Walter Cronkite, a man who at the time was considered the most trusted man in America, to slowly take off his glasses and read this tragic news. We had five camera teams in Saigon showing us children being burned, bombs, atrocities of the Vietnam, things that we had never seen before. You couldn't turn on your TV without a national tragedy every day. And if that sounds like 2020, it's because it sounds exactly like 2020. <laughs> so naturally- Wow, is this now? What's and I was like, that sounds like yesterday. <laughs> it is really crazy when you look at the 60s in general and you look at today and you, you realize in both ways how the media was driving everything. I can't open my phone right now without a day without incident. I might as well have a big poster behind me <laughs> like I'm a safety inspector in a warehouse with the day since the last disaster. However, we grew up at a time where we were oddly used to that. This was the first time you had to turn on your TV and see this. Now I, I get it streamed to me on Twitter and injected into my brain and I'm furious about it, but I'm also a little numb to it. So naturally our sitcoms and our shows took this as a time to be escapism at its grandest. And where sitcoms about families and offices all of a sudden expanded into I Dream of Jeannie and Gilligan's Island and Bewitched and the Beverly Hillbillies, absurd, giant comedies with preposterous premises that never got political. They never brought up anything that was going on, which means that the rubber band your brain was doing on the news in the 60s was tragedy, laughter, tragedy, mm -hmm. laughter. You were quite literally becoming the Shakespeare faces. <laughs> Either way. <laughs> One way or another, and nothing pioneered comedy like the Dick Van Dyke show. So much so that it bled out of TV into television and into stage with writers like Neil Simon and Mel Brooks and even Woody Allen. Controversy acknowledged. The man was there as well. This pushed it so far forward that I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. And when I really look at Dick Van Dyke, I just go, oh, he beat you to it, Jerry. <laughs> this, like, yeah. This was a show. I was just, Dick, the Dick Van Dyke show is a show that holds up so strong. And it's a show that the concept of were about a TV writer. It's, it's about a TV writer and half a workplace comedy where he's with his other workplace and half a family comedy. But I mean, we have seen so many shows since then about TV. Um, I mean, from all the way through like the Larry Sanders show. Um, but there, but that's just one small example. There are so many. Um, mm -hmm. And Dick Van Dyke was really the blueprint for that. And, and that's thanks to Carl Reiner. Um, I think that we can't talk about the Dick Van Dyke. You're all about like drama history. And I'm like, okay, but let's talk about Dick Van Dyke's history in terms of Carl Reiner created his own sitcom. And if you go on Hulu, the first Dick Van Dyke episode is actually the original pilot where um, it was about the same premise, but it was starring Carl Reiner and it didn't work. So we got yeah. Dick Van Dyke, which Carl Reiner is hilarious. He's amazing, but nobody's Dick Van Dyke. But you're not recreating what Dick Van Dyke, yeah. yeah, you're not Dick doing Van that. Dyke is one, I must say, and I thought this, I've said it for years, he's one of the sexiest men ever alive. Uh, and I think I just want to throw that out there. <laughs> but so not only is he handsome, but the way that he moves his body and his face, like when he just crosses, you know, a little cross-eyed thing, he, 
no one, no other man has control of their body the way Dick Van Dyke had control of his body back then. He's a master of it. And and I just respect Carl Reiner so much for being like, okay, I I wasn't the man for this job, but I'm going to create this premise for the man for this job. And then when Carl Reiner came, eventually he he voiced the boss. And then in the fourth season, he started playing the boss uh, in person. And I just, I'm so sad that we lost Carl Reiner last year. I mean, he lived a great, long, wonderful life. But um, but he is, uh, Carl Reiner is one of the original sitcom pioneers that I think people, you know, uh, our age, we associate him with Ocean's Eleven. Yes. Um, uh, which he's, he's my favorite character. <laughs> I love him. But, um, but, I, but I just, uh, I think that we should, everyone should acknowledge that we have gotten here today because of Mr. Carl Reiner. Well, he really epitomized a brilliant producer. When you bring up, he wasn't the man for the job, so he got the guy who was. This is what a good producer is supposed to do. They have an idea, they make a show, they believe in the idea. The show doesn't work. What do you do? You find the guy who can do the right. idea. Because he still believed in the show. He's just like, I got to tweak this because this is still good. I feel like you see so often now modern producers don't know what audiences want or how to make something work. And if it doesn't work the first time, they abandon it. And they go, well, you know, we tried to make a comedy with a diverse cast and it didn't connect. And we tried to do a story about the Muppets and it didn't work. It's like, well, that's because you have the wrong ingredients, sir. Get yeah. Carl Reiner in there to tell you how to make pasta work better. <laughs> like, <laughs> much, much later. But Saved by the Bell also succeeded in that way, where Good Morning, Miss Bliss didn't really work. That's and, a show that they did a complete season, and they're like, and, wait a minute. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just watched Good Morning, Miss Bliss very recently to get ready for the Saved by the Bell reboot, which, by the way, is amazing. Is if you haven't watched Saved by the Bell, fantastic. Um, and, and so sometimes it works to reformat the show, but uh, especially nowadays with Netflix and everything, they're just canceling things left and right. It's rare that shows get a second chance. And the fact that Dick Van Dyke was a second chance is- I I think it's because back then there weren't, there wasn't that much content. Like they weren't (laughs) producing a show. So if a chick, they cancel a show, cool. We have something to replace it. Back then they were like, all right, let's work this. Cause this seems like this works. Let's work this till we get this actual, actually right. And I think bringing in Dick Van Dyke, I, again, I watched about three, two or three episodes last night. And there was an episode where Dick Van Dyke was doing like an encore at a party and he had to put on this entire performance. And just like you said, Jamie, just the way that he moves, the way he does his face, the way it's just almost like, it's like a trained dancer, but through comedy. And it's just phenomenal to watch. There's no one else that could do what he does or did like that. It's just, I was like, this guy, this is the quintessential male lead comedy actor you can get all the cosby's you can get all seinfeld they're straight men compared to what he was doing he is a performer and he was knocking it out of the freaking yes it's big but at that time i feel like that's the way the comedy needed to go and it was just it's brilliant it's still brilliant to watch and he's and he still got it like you know he's in his 90s so he can't move quite like that but even in the new mary poppins movie, seeing him in mary like, poppins he, get on that desk oh like how is he doing that i mean <laughs> uh, if a part of me is like You know, a man who moves like that, I'm sure he moves that way wherever he needs to. Oh, I would eventually like to discuss the Mary Tyler Moore Dick Van Dyke of it all, um, but I feel like we can can touch on that later. (laughs) 
I was like, by all means, I don't actually know this story, but if we, we can hold it, we can keep some secrets. Uh, you know, I, uh, I've talked a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because you, you, we bring up Dick Van Dyke as an actor and, and the way that the show worked. And it, it's very interesting when you look at the Dick Van Dyke show thematically. And I think at the time, they weren't really looking at the show thematically. I think a lot of sitcoms of the 60s were maybe about something deeper every once in a while. You started to get in some things that dealt with the civil rights movement and how do we write women better and how do we deal with interracial couples? And we will get all into that in the next episode. But the Dick Van Dyke show really showed us family and office situations and brought forth a lot of tropes that we still use in shows like The Office and like Seinfeld and like Friends. This was at its core, a situation. And they did that through going, where do writers get their ideas? Where do people find these hilarious things? And the answer was in everyday life. And I think Terrence, to your point, he had to be a bit bigger because if you don't get in any show, quote unquote, about nothing, and I'm sure if this show continues, we'll have a whole Seinfeld episode, but you need characters to elevate situations. Seinfeld would be very boring if Jason Alexander wasn't insane. <laughs> like the office wouldn't work if Michael Scott wasn't endearing. Like you 30 Rock fails if Tracy Morgan isn't batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they like almost like they don't break the fourth wall, but they kind of like pet it a little bit with Dick Van Dyke. Like he mm -hmm. almost looks at the camera. He almost communicates to the audience. He has these big, huge motions that just gravitate you to the screen. And the pacing of the show is also just line after line after wit after wit. It's on par with the Simpsons where they are just, there's a joke every 30 seconds. And it's so, it was so rare to see something like that at the time. And it's still quite candidly rare to see that now. To have a show that really is just hit after hit after hit after hit. And you almost have to rewatch an episode twice because you will miss things. Yeah, especially with a live action audience laughing. Some of the jokes, you, you they, they keep going. So they get some of these like, oh, oh that, was a, that was another punch joke there too. I think we would be remiss to say that Mary Tyler isn't fascinating she, he needs that yin to his yang and at that point in time unfortunately just the way that the sitcoms in the world was the women were a lesser character but it was clear that as the season went along they're like hold on well, I was <laughs> she's say, right there with him <laughs> you get to uh the premiere of season five I, I think it's called coast to coast radio girl or coast to coast gossip girl i don't have the title in front of i me. watched the episode last night um it's yeah. so good jamie um, <laughs> It's uh, it's considered one of the best, and uh, and and it's a great um, Carl Reiner episode too. Um, but it is all about Mary Tyler Moore fucking up. She goes on live TV and says that Carl Reiner wears a wig or a toupee, and uh, it gets Dick Van Dyke in trouble. And it's it's brilliant. And that one is one where it's much more about the women in there. And it was even funny having very small moments in that show even of that episode alone opens with a a list of people they can interview and talk to and the only woman in the room is like and guess what they're all men it's like oh we were we were doing this way back when it was also one of the first shows to like load up on collegiate writers people who were like when they talk about the simpsons everyone's always like well you know they all went to harvard and that's 
that's why it's so good, which is ridiculous because you have hilarious <laughs> shows that don't have to show off their degrees. But it's funny that the Dick Van Dyke also was one of those like, well, we really went and got people that understood the world more than just understood how to write. I, I really appreciated that. One of the things Carl Reiner said was because he because, you know, he worked on your show of shows was like that was the big one. And he's like, well, there's always one woman, woman in the, in the writer's room. So that's how they got Rosemarie. He's like, we have to have a woman. And the thing is, Rosemarie is the funniest one. Uh, she's, um, she's perfect. I have, I, I, I fell down a Rosemarie rabbit hole uh, prepping for today. And I, I, I'm pretty sure like a biography exists and I'm going to find it and read it because she is fascinating um and uh and the, her timing and performance and it's so cool as someone whose dream it is to be a tv writer as a, a woman um seeing like a character in a in 1961 having like a strong voice uh back then it's like very empowering and awesome that 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 rosemary as a person exists but also that her character existed as well uh but uh she she had a life <laughs> yeah i unfortunately don't know much about her life outside of this show and her other credits was is there like more i'll give you like a quick cool rundown of rosemary if you, if you want to hear it real quick i do uh, i do she got her start as a kid and she was on the radio and her vo people didn't believe she was a child so they sent her off on a vaudeville tour to prove she was a child. And when she was a kid, she, I, I, I assume this happened in Chicago, uh, Al Capone was like, come meet me. And like, and like met her and was like, call me Uncle Al. And I think her father may have worked for Al Capone. Um, so she had a bit of a, like these weird, as a child, mafia ties. And I think Bugsy was also involved with her a little bit. Uh, and then when she got older in like her 50s, I read that she went on this tour with Rosemary Clooney and, a, and two other women. And uh, George Clooney drove their bus uh, because Rosemary's nephew. And, and that's like, and that's like young to 50. There's a whole lot in between where she truly led a fascinating life. And she, she only passed away a few years ago and she used to be very active on Twitter. Um, and her tweets were very great. I think that the, I think that her Twitter is still active, like as a legacy tweet, Twitter thing. Um, and she just was, she was so funny. And, uh, I read like a thing about her, like the original, like share Madonna, like Rosemary uh a thing um and she i can't wait to learn more about her but even just the thought of like a young rosemary getting scooped up in al capone's arms is like show me the movie yeah that is uh why wasn't that the capone movie instead of tom hardy mumbling <laughs> tom hardy through... mumbling and shitting on himself the entire time <laughs> the man does not like to be heard terrence he's a great actor who's just constantly figuring out it's how like to my not voice be is heard. not good i'm just going to mumble and moan my way through you know the what? entire movie i'm too good I'm for me to not be understood. I'm too good at this. So that's the Dick Van Dyke show, I feel like. J Jamie, Terrence, were there other sitcoms you felt were in this first episode beyond just Dick Van Dyke? I mean, I think that Elizabeth Olsen especially, I think she channeled Lucy. And I was going to say, I love Lucy is definitely yeah. in there. Um, uh, I, the set was very Dick Van Dyke, but also they're... they're um, I think that her performance especially channeled some of those iconic 
um, people. And you have to think, Dick Van Dyke was what, 61? And the first episode was supposed to be, I, I would say, 50s. My guess is it was 1959 because that's when Yak v. Yak came out, and that was a big part of the episode. So yeah. that my guess is that it was since Yak v. Yak was on the radio, it was supposed to be 1959. I think so too, especially since the it seems like if we're talking about this when we get to the second episode, what it's based off of timing wise, you would be at just one decade up and that would put you right at the, the, the timing wise of that. Um, but yeah, I think this is definitely different. Like the set literally has the open brown shutters that a lot of the episodes of Dick Van Dyke has for the kitchen. Like it's almost house plan is literally set up the exact same way. But I definitely think Lucy was a big, it seemed like because Mary Tyler Moore for those first couple of seasons where they're kind of getting the era of this in, wasn't as a lead of a character as Elizabeth Olsen is to the show. She got most of hers from Lucy, whereas Bettany was getting a lot of his from Dick Van Dyke. Because there's some mannerisms that he gives that are very to the fourth wall. Well, yeah, he, <laughs> he's almost a one-to-one of Dick Van Dyke yeah. in some, in some yeah. shots. I mean, actually, they actually recreate the, the tripping over the, the couch shot in the, in the intro, they do a version of it and for, obviously for Vision's powers, he's just gonna go well, through the couch. <laughs> that was brilliant. And I, yeah. I, I joked about this on Twitter, but it's a fact. I have never felt Paul Bettany, I've never saw him as an attractive man until he started acting like Dick Van Dyke. And I was like, <laughs> okay, Paul Bettany. Well, Jamie, I mean, it's, I don't know if I fully agree with that, but he certainly <laughs> was on his game. Um, <laughs> That voice, that buttery voice. That's like a good Terrence Tatum voice that Paul Bettany's <laughs> got. <laughs> Thank you. Um, the other kind of stuff too in this, you, you mentioned the, the yakety yak scene in the office just makes me rethink of all of the comedy beats the, and the where they're doing it. These just refusals of who they are and what do you mean I'm a machine? I'm not a machine. And when you watch the Dick Van Dyke show, that same back and forth of like, well, I'm having lunch. Well, I'm not hungry. I'm pain. I'm starving. And they just go. You got those kind of sort of like tit for tats in those office scenes. Like they, they wrote it so similarly. And I also love that they took the comedy styling of that era, but still put in some of the stuff of like today or like current, because the whole thing of them not knowing what the hell they do as a job is a meta thing that we're like, what do they don't actually produce anything? Like, what the hell are they doing as a work? And it's a fun thing to think about like oh yeah we've watched this show for about five seasons and i still don't know what the hell actually is done at this company terrence you and i made a web series years ago where i quite literally said don't worry about what the company does i didn't feel like writing it in <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it's it's very funny you bring that up because i'm like yeah yeah that's what they do and has become kind of a even just weird thing in our capitalistic society of people being like, well, what do we do? Well, we, we produce. Don't worry about anything else. The company produces content, but those are also the small clues of this world isn't fully built. They don't know their anniversary. They don't know why the calendar is marked. They don't know what the company does. They don't know where they came from. Those are like these very small context clues that before the big reveal in episode two, you start going, well, now, something's off like why who doesn't know when they got married who doesn't know why they're celebrating who moves in but it all gets very interesting um do you have more on any of the sitcoms or any history or any shows you want to bring up i will say one thing that i 
was really excited about last night. I watched the episode where um, Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore go to the hotel and she gets her toe stuck in the faucet and it's brilliantly hilarious. And I realized one of my favorite episodes of sitcom history of all time is the Frasier episode where um, Niall sleeps with Lilith and then Frasier like comes to the hotel and it's like very, I love a door comedy where they're going to the bathroom and they're coming out. And I, feel is, like, yeah. um, and I feel like that episode uh, was heavily influenced by this Dick Van Dyke episode. And I love that. I love seeing, I mean, that's, that's what sitcoms are. I mean, we, we wouldn't have Ross and Rachel without Sam and Diane. Um, right and uh and i think that um the older we get the less we watch these like black and white sitcoms and i think that um because it's been a long time since i've watched the dick van dyke show and uh and now i'm like i might watch the whole thing uh now that i've revisited some episodes because of how well it holds up and i'm curious like that episode reminded me so much of that frazier episode i want to see what other episodes influenced later years it's funny because most most of the comedy that exists today is no longer the four camera live audience stuff. So a lot of the stuff that they did just doesn't exist because it's almost filmed like a, a movie now, and there there isn't the, the space for that. But you're right; this episode has the door thing, and obviously there's a that's what makes these shows so good because even though you can see the threads de depending on how the performers are, is where you get the the up or down of how you feel about the show. But that has the door thing, but it also has the the very familiar concept of. You're saying one thing on the phone. I'm saying something else. We're thinking we're talking about the same thing, but we're literally talking about two different things and then hijinks in mm -hmm. suit. And that's, it's, we know what that is. We know it, it's an ABC, we get there, but it's still fascinating to watch performers go through that process because it's still fun to watch if they're one doing my, it well. One of my favorite friends jokes of all time is they're watching Three's Company and one of them's like, oh, this is the one where there's some misunderstanding and Phoebe very genuinely goes, oh, well then I've already seen this one. And I think that's such a brilliant yeah. joke because yeah, that is what it is. But in terms of most of these sitcoms, it, the repetitive of that works, which I which I feel like doesn't maybe hold up in Bewitched if we're getting to that, if we're getting to episode two yet. Um, I don't know if that it's transition time or. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do a little bit of our part three of this show. Oh, okay. And I will probably stop recording and restart it for episode two, and I will have them as two separate episodes. Okay. Um, but I will put them both up this week. But it's it's so interesting that you bring up kind of the the concepts of the phone misunderstanding and these things that we've been doing since well the '60s. And there's something so funny about it working here because I feel like if a if a sitcom on Netflix, if a Brooklyn Nine Nine did a like, what are we? Well, uh, the signal's breaking. Oh, did we break up? Did we not break up? I would roll my eyes. But watching it in the context of where it came from gives it this weird like, ah, oh, they're doing like you. It's almost like music. I want to hear the hits. I'm not going to Green Day to watch them play some new stuff. I want Dookie and American Idiot. <laughs> Give me the music. Like, I, yeah. I don't care. <laughs> um, it's the same way with even the, the premise of this first episode of The Boss is Coming to Dinner, which is now, it's so overdone and tropey in sitcoms that it's almost a disproven trope. You almost don't see it anymore. And when you do, it's in something like the Simpsons episode where Mr. Burns takes over all media and he's come to dinner to, this, to Smithers' house. And we all kind of laugh and chuckle because even if you don't know the reference, you know the reference. But if anybody asked me where the first time that happened, I couldn't tell you. No. 
So but it's ingrained in you like American, like American, like a pie. You're like, oh, I know what this is. I yeah, know. yeah. You put it on the windowsill to cool and you forget about it for 40 years. And the next thing you know, I haven't had apple pie since 1965. Yeah. I just think I have. Uh, so then that's the history. That's the themes. That was 60s TV. We're now infusing this in the next chapter in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and we are using it as a jumping off point for Wanda Maximoff and the Vision story, two characters that I think all of us love so much, uh, just so, so much. So why are we using these? I think one of the biggest kind of ones, you know, we talked about escapism. The 60s was about escapism as much as it was about being informed in a very weird way, right? Everybody wanted to turn on and watch Walter Cronkite make us feel terrible about our lives, but we wanted to then laugh right after. Um, no one wants, you know, what's the point of a meal if it's all savory? Give me some sweet and salt yeah. there. These are characters who have had to escape quite literally from like everything in their lives. And they have been trying to escape from the stress of the MCU forever. When we first met Jarvis, he's an AI. He's not, there's not much to escape from there unless you want to get real literal that he escaped being an AI and became the vision, but he then has to escape Ultron's hold. He has to escape from the government. He wants to escape with Wanda. These are this concept of escape and getting away and, and venturing somewhere normal is what these characters I feel like have been up, trying to obtain. Yeah, uh, especially Wanda's had a lot of tragedy, a lot. Um, and we last see, obviously, she's lost her brother. She's lost the person she loves, a Persian robot, but she's lost someone she loves. Um, and she's gone through a lot of pain. Her sisters have lost their her careers. <laughs> well, really. fashion wise, they're doing uh, fantastic. And Kane are doing great. I mean, Mary Kate is going through a divorce, which is too bad. <laughs> But, but they are fashion moguls. And they I, are. Uh, they're probably okay. I'm, yeah, um, I'm sure that they are doing just fine. They, just fine. I saw a but tweet it, where somebody said that they want to see Elizabeth Olsen um, play Mary Kate Nashley both parts in like their life story. And I have never loved an idea more. Uh, I would pay good money for that. Uh, oh, I would throw out my A-list to give them a full ticket price. <laughs> California ticket prices, <laughs> yes. which is... A much hefty higher. 20. Yeah. Um, but I think, I feel like I'm, I'm under the belief that I, I don't know who or if, but I feel like Wanda may be creating this world to make herself deal with whatever tragedy she has going on. And I, I feel like that's why part of this is like, these are shows that we all watched as a kid or whatnot. So I feel like wherever she was in Sokovia, she was like, I know this show. So in some way, I'm going to try to recreate that place because that felt comfortable and that felt home. That gives me at least a moment that I did not have with Vision because he's gone. And which means this is gonna get dark really quick, but I think right now that's where we're starting because this is the slice of American pie, that apple pie that we're kind of just like, all right, this is home. This feels comfortable. This is safe. This is where the traditional white picket fence American family starts. And that's what I wanna be. And that's how I envision Vision and I. Yeah, I mean, it's also interesting to start here and have them be the idyllic family like there is a gentle sadness in just going oh yeah this is the thing that never get gets to happen oh no yeah. it would be like watching a version of your life that you'll never 
And I'm sure it's, I'm sure, actually, no, Kevin and them are pretty genius with what they write. But her first line is talking about how his, his head is indestructible. And I'm like, oh, but shit. Well, and that's parallel <laughs> with my wife and her flying saucers. And she grabbed those saucers and pulled them down. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot of, a lot of stuff in there. Yeah. I think, Jamie, do you have anything to say on that of why you think we're using 60s themes to push these forward or? I think you've covered it pretty well. Um, I also think that it, it's also in the simpler sense, like we're starting in like the late 50s, early 60s, because that's just when sitcoms started. Like, right. um, I know that, you know, there were sick, like, um, you know, in the 40s, they existed, but even um, we were talking about uh, off podcast, the first couple to have a full bed was what, some Mary and Johnny, is that their names? Yeah. Um, um, and I have that, it in my notes, Mary Kay and yeah, Johnny, 1947. Mary Kay and Johnny. That was 1947. And, uh, and, but that's a show that I feel like none of us have ever heard ever watched before. Correct. Um, it's literally only known for now for the bed thing. Um, and I think that I, when I think of like the first sitcom, I, I, I feel like I can't think of anything that comes before leave it to Beaver. Um, like that's kind of to me in my brain the first Andy Griffith I don't know what, what year that was but um but I think that you know they were trying to start from the beginning uh which is part of it but I understand why they didn't go like way way back yeah or, yeah I mean it makes sense if you and it, just watching the show because I, I there are a lot of shows too that are also radio broadcast before that point and it just watching this show it seems like the tv is sort of a channel to kind of go from one point to another as far as their their years so i think that's also why like tvs were started sort of first started being in multiple households or more households in that 60s era yeah whereas you have to sort of start there because that's when i mean look there's there's the occam's razor of it of like there was the 60s this is the golden age if we're going to do this where would it, why wouldn't we do it but it it's such an interesting premise to choose that it just begs that curiosity and it's also easy to be like we're starting the multiverse and we're going to see how they would have been in all these ages someone's watching them sword is around this show, however, is not really about the theorizing, but I do want to bring up one more aspect, and that is these cool commercials that they have. Yeah, I was smiling. I was like, oh, this is very, well, it's quite grind, grindhouse of them, but I love that it still kept the same tone and felt like whatever year that they're in. I was like, this is great. And obviously, this show as a whole has them, but there are Easter eggs literally all over the place. <laughs> It's, well, it's, it's very interesting to use that because we're selling a Stark product. It's the bomb that in theory killed her past. We're seeing kind of, this is where Jarvis began. It's showing us an origin without showing it. And it mm -hmm. is also very, obviously these commercials existed then, but for me, I immediately went to like Bioshock and Fallout 3 and these video games that use this time. Yes. <laughs> Damn it, Fontaine, get out of here. Era. <laughs> Fontaine, shut up. <laughs> but I love it. I'm very excited to keep watching. I'm excited to keep doing this show. I'm excited for you to keep listening and watching this show. So I think we are going to wrap up our first episode unless anybody else has anything to say. Uh, I would like to, because I teased it earlier and didn't say it. Um, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke have expressed that they had crushes on each other um, back in the day. And uh, uh, you know, an interviewer has asked them if anything happened between them and they, they coyly, you know, kind of dodged it. I bet they hooked it up, but that's just. 
Uh, How Tinder, could you not? Right, both of them. I would hook up with either of them. And it's, I'll say, I'd go either way. And it's it's so weird when you're seeing, I feel like that happens a lot on TV sets. When you're seeing okay. the same person day in and day out and they're and technically your husband and wife and you're kissing anyway, you're kind of like, well, lights are off. Let's keep this going. Look, I'm pretty sure that every hot person has hooked up with every other hot person. Exactly. If, you put, if you put two hot people in a room for a year or more and they're like, we never hooked up. I'm like, you're so full of shit. I I also um Dick Van Dyke didn't want to didn't want her to play the wife because she's like 12 14 one of those years younger than him and he didn't think that anyone would believe it but they had so much chemistry oh. um and I and if you haven't seen when they were much older like probably in their 50s 60s they did an Annie Leibovitz uh photo shoot where um they're like in like BDSM leather and he's like on all fours and she's got a whip above him and uh I tweeted oh yeah nothing like, happened oh, right um well Dick Van Dyke was like oh my god I'm never gonna live this down he did not want to do that photo shoot uh, I might tweet the photo again later because it's worth looking at it's a pretty but it, but google it if you haven't um but Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke were two hot people and I firmly believe that they have had sexual intercourse and that is my final oh. word on episode one <laughs> It's like when Carrie Fisher was like, oh yeah, Harrison Ford and I hooked up. And I was like, is anybody surprised? Exactly. Like, Are we yes. shocked? Have you <laughs> seen Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford? Please, please, please. I went to high school. I know how the attractive people work, even though I wasn't among them. I saw the talking and the kissing. That was our show, guys. Thank you so much for watching, for listening, for consuming, in whichever way you prefer to consume your content. Of course, leave us comments, share the YouTube page, subscribe to the YouTube channel. If I know how to put those links there, I'll do it, but who knows if I will. So be an independent person and do it yourself. If you're listening on a podcast, leave us a review, still share the show, it's still important. Obviously, you can find this on YouTube. You can find this on podcasts. You can find this on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor. It's everywhere. I am on Twitter at As Always Blake, and I do another show called How Do You Figure about action figure collecting. There's also some unboxing videos on our YouTube channel for that, where I stumbly talk about toys while I open them, which is a process I hate, but the people who watch our show seem to like it, so I keep doing it. I also do a podcast with Terrence and our friend Anastasia called You Can't Do That Anymore, a podcast Jamie has been on as well to talk about American beauty. Go forth and find it. It is wonderful. It is about classic movies that maybe have not aged as well that you couldn't or wouldn't or shouldn't make in the year 2021. Jamie, where can everybody find you and all of your wheelings and dealings? I'm on Twitter at Jamie Cinematics, uh, and you can check out my writing on comicbook.com. And if you want to take a silly quiz, like which Bridgerton sibling are you? I also make quizzes on BuzzFeed. Uh, so uh, that's my deal. Terrence, do you have anything else to plug? Or since you and I mostly do everything together, we've pretty we're, much- we're, all, we're, 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 we're side by side. So I, you, you got it all. <laughs> great, great. <laughs> Guys, this was Hollywood Already Did It presents a sitcom history through WandaVision. I'd think of a shorter title, but I don't want to. I like it. It's great. I think it has a very Nick at Night vibe. I, th I like saying presents in a show. It makes me feel like an old host from the 70s or 90s. I love it. It gets to the point. 
There's SEO marketing involved. Stay tuned right here. Keep on watching. Go watch the Dick Van Dyke show on Hulu. Go watch WandaVision if you did on Disney Plus and go find all of our other stuff on the internet. And we will see you very soon because they put up two episodes back to back.